pray. We've just been listening, Father, to this very beautiful and uh, encouraging song about the name of Jesus, a name above all names. You tell us that, that in his name we have the authority to come into your presence, and that's what we're doing right now. In Jesus' name we come, not because we deserve it, but just because of who he is and he's made the way open for us. And you've told us that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. One of these days, that's going to happen. And that every tongue is going to exclaim and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I pray then that this morning, in Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit would take these minutes now and use them for your glory in the life of each one that's here to speak to each of us according to our own personal need. May our eyes be opened and may our spirits be receptive to allow you to teach us for your glory. Thank you for the opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we, before we start looking at this chapter, which is a tremendous chapter, and we're not going to be able to look at all of it. It's just there's too much in it. There are certain things I want to point out, however. But before we do, I want us to think for a moment about who it is that's writing this, this book that we just read, this chapter that we just read. This man, this man called Peter. Who he is. What we can learn from his experience. I find every time I review Peter's life, I find a tremendous encouragement in seeing what has taken place and not only in what has taken place in Peter's life, but therefore what can take place in my life, in your life, and in the lives of people that I am involved with in one way or another. Think for a moment. Peter, if, if, we, if we wanted to classify him this morning, and I don't particularly enjoy doing this, because I, I'm not one given to this whole concept of, of uh, uh, the, the teaching that's going on regarding temperaments. Now, a lot of people are using that. I don't like it because I don't like to put people in categories. Nevertheless, if we were going to use the concept of temperaments this morning, we would have to put Peter in the concept or in the, in the arena of a very choleric individual. Peter was a, a dynamic impetuous, take-charge kind of guy. In every situation in which we find him, Peter is, is either giving some good leadership or putting his foot in his mouth. One of the two. Now, that's sort of like many of us. The interesting thing is to see the progression of Peter's life. You remember one of the first encounters that, that Peter had with the Lord Jesus was when he and his brother Andrew and James and John, who were all partners in this fishing enterprise, were fishing, had fished all night, hadn't caught anything. 
They were washing their nets when Jesus came, followed by a large crowd, and Jesus asked if he could step into one of their boats and, and speak to the crowd. So he chose Peter's boat, Simon Peter's boat. They pushed it out a little ways. He finished talking to the crowd. And when he had finished, he turned to these men and he said, Now, put your boats out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Jesus was telling them, Here's, here's something I want to do for you. Peter's response, again, this impetuous response, was, Lord, now look, we fished all night. And we've tried everything we know how. We're professional fishermen. And we didn't catch a thing. But something, something had caught Peter's attention. And he added then, nevertheless, at your word we'll do it. So they went out and did it, you remember, and they caught so many fish they couldn't pull the boats. Uh, one started to, to sink, and so they brought the other one out and filled it. Now, notice what Peter does. And here is the key to Peter's life, my friends. In that chapter, it's Luke 5 and verse 8. In that chapter, in that verse, it says, even though they caught all these fish, Peter was not impressed by that. He was impressed with the person of Jesus. And he ran and he fell at Jesus' knees. And he said, depart from me. I am a sinful man. Now, there you find the key to Peter's usefulness to God. And I suggest to you this morning that that is true for you and for me. A recognition, a continual recognition of our own unworthiness and the worthiness of Jesus to receive everything that we have. Because just a few verses later it says, Peter and these men, four of them, left everything they had, all these fish and all they had possessed, these boats and nets and everything, their livelihood, they left everything and followed Jesus. That was the beginning. But Peter hadn't learned all the lessons yet. And so as he goes along, one day, he rebuked the Lord Jesus. Matthew 16 tells us that Jesus was talking about his death and how it was going to happen. And it says, Peter rebuked him. Peter said, Lord, that can't be true. That can't happen to you. And that's when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Now, he wasn't calling Peter Satan. He was simply saying that Peter was functioning as an instrument opposed to him. This was his plan. He had come to die, and Peter was trying to oppose that. Now, his intention may have been right, but his understanding was very limited. His impetuosity led him to that. This is Peter. This is the man that was being moved and, and, and worked on by God. And then, you remember, in the 18th chapter of John, we're told that he denied the Lord. A little little girl came up to him and said, You're one of his followers, aren't you? Peter said, No way. I don't know him. Three times he did that. This impetuous, supposedly courageous man that took charge when the chips were down, he denied the Lord. 
But the beautiful thing is this. Just a couple of chapters later, in John 21, Peter says, when Jesus asked him, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, I can't answer that way. I can't tell you I love you. Just a few hours ago, I denied you. How can I say I love you? But Jesus knew Peter's heart, just like he knows your heart this morning. And in spite of Peter's impetuosity and his continually running ahead of the Lord in some circumstances, in spite of these weaknesses that were part of Peter's makeup, along with the strengths of his character, in spite of all of that, Jesus saw a heart that was desirous of pleasing him that started back there when, when Peter said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. I recognize my limitations. I recognize that I am unworthy. And so in John 21, Peter's, Jesus says to Peter three times, Take care of my sheep. Peter, here's what I want us to get to before we look at this chapter. Peter, who in the beginning did not demonstrate the characteristics or the qualities of, of, of a man who would become a shepherd, a pastor, if you please, to the people of God, one who would take care of them and feed them and shepherd them. And yet, Jesus saw that potential in him. And in the 21st chapter of John, he says, do it. Nothing has changed. I know your weaknesses. I know all the things that have happened. But you are still my man. Now, the reason I'm going through this is to encourage you and me to recognize that God sees many of our imperfections. But beyond that, he sees our heart. And if our hearts are as Peter's, and we recognize our unworthiness, we recognize our shortcomings, but we, we give ourselves to him, as Peter did, he left everything and followed him. God takes that life and molds it and makes it into what he wants it to be. And then a few chapters later, in the second chapter of the book of Acts, we have the coming of the Holy Spirit. And Peter becomes a new person. He was a follower of Jesus. But they knew nothing of the Holy Spirit up until that time. And when the Holy Spirit came, and they were all filled with the Spirit, they were all controlled and possessed by the Spirit, Peter became a totally different individual. And it's that person who is writing to us now in this chapter as a shepherd, as a pastor, saying, look, I love you. And here are some instructions that I want to give you to help you be the kind of people God wants you to be. This impetuous, hard-charging man has become a mellow, quiet, generous shepherd of the sheep. Doesn't mean he lost his, his drive, but a character change took place. In Romans 8.29 it says that God is at work in us seeking to conform us to the image of his Son, wanting us to become more like Jesus in the way we behave. And that's what was happening to Peter. From out there where he started questioning Jesus, rebuking him, denying him, God takes that life and makes it an instrument of righteousness. I want you to be encouraged with that this morning. 
for yourself, perhaps someone you're praying for. Now, it's not going to happen quickly. It's not going to happen immediately. But God can work and will work wherever there is a willingness on the part of that person to allow God to work. In your life or in the life of someone that you are concerned about. Now, let's look at this chapter quickly. There are several things I want us to see as we finish this up and and try to get some ideas out of here. First of all, in the very first verse, Peter tells us the reason why he's writing these things. He says, I've written them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Now, my friends, that is a very key statement. In our society today, and in much of Christianity, much of what is being preached today is based on how you feel. I was talking to a psychologist lately, and uh, he confessed. He said, one of, my, one of my primary questions to people is, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? We have become a society that is more concerned with how we feel than what we think. And Peter is saying, I'm not here to stimulate your emotions. I'm not here to make you feel good about following Jesus. I am here and I'm writing these things to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. What goes on in your mind, how you think, produces the kind of a person you are. Your emotions may come and may go. They may vacillate. Some days you may feel up and other days you may not feel as up and you may be down. None of that should impact on on your commitment to following Jesus. That's something you do with your mind. That's something you do with your thinking. That's something you do with your will. Something you choose to do. Peter is saying, I'm writing to try to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. In 2 Peter 1.12, just a couple of pages back, Peter makes this statement. He says, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory, your mind, not your emotions. In the Proverbs, it says, keep your mind with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What you think this morning What you think when you think about Jesus, when you think about God, when you think about your responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ, what you think, not what you feel, what you think is going to make the difference in how you behave. So Peter is writing to do that. Now, a little earlier, in the first book, if you go back there just a moment, chapter 1 of book 1, Peter, 1 Peter 1, He refers to this again, beginning with uh, verse 12 and verse 13. He says, that's not the the verse I want. Sorry about that. It's verse 13. 13, thank you. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. 
Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires uh, you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, you must be holy, for I am holy. Prepare your minds for action. How do we do that? Well, number one, we strengthen our mind. And how do we strengthen our mind? Peter is saying, I want to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. In what way? There's only one way for our minds to be stimulated to wholesome thinking, and that is with wholesome truth. And so the psalmist said, you remember this verse, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to what? To the word of God. And so then he goes on, he says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against you. The word of God is that which prepares our mind for action. Not what psychologists are telling us. Not why, what some of these radio commentators are telling us. But what the word of God says. To go back to the scriptures and, and strengthen our minds with what the Bible says is one of the most effective ways of preparing our minds for action. Peter is writing to stimulate us to wholesome thinking. And wholesome thinking only comes from wholesome truth. And some of the things that some of us read sometimes and allow ourselves to to look at are not wholesome. And they sow seeds of wrong thinking in our minds. And before long... Before long, we're, we're allowing ourselves to vacillate regarding some of our own values. I know people who apparently know the truth, who have been involved in, in going to church and even being involved in serving in some capacity, who choose at some point in their life to ignore what they know and to allow themselves to accept other ideas from society that are contrary to the Word of God, that are not wholesome. And they make choices that lead them into error and failure and tragedy. Wholesome thinking comes as a result of looking at wholesome truth. My friends, I I cannot emphasize that enough. Allow your minds, note that I said your minds, to be filled with what God has to say. So that when you come to a point of decision, you make the decision on the basis of what God has to say, not how you feel or what people around you are saying, but rather what God says. So that's one way to strengthen your mind. Then I think another thing is in verse in Romans 12 too, and you know this verse, many of you have heard it. But if you want to look at it, that'd be fine. Romans 12 2, where Paul is writing, and he, and he reminds us, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? The renewing of your emotions, right? No, 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 no. But that's what we do. That's how we act. We, we say, how are you doing today? Well... Okay, what do you mean? Well, I don't 
Somehow I don't feel Jesus near me. Now, has Jesus moved? No. Who's moved? I have. That's emotion. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you sometimes. No. Always. Right? But my emotions say sometimes, I don't feel him near me. That doesn't change. If I am being renewed with the truth of God, I remember what he said, and I say, great, no matter how I feel, I know this is true. So when Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, I say to you again, the only way that my mind can be renewed with wholesome things is with wholesome truth. And then I think we need to be aware today, always, but, but certainly, certainly today, of, of the spiritual warfare in which we are involved. Now, the spiritual warfare is not necessarily all those immoral things that sometimes tempt us, all those lusts that all of us experience of one kind or another. That's part of it. But very often the spiritual warfare is something that goes on in our minds, in our hearts, that perhaps no one else knows about, we're not willing to admit, and they begin to eat us up like a canker. They begin to chew us up inside. That's why, that's why we're reminded in Hebrews 12:15, be careful. Be careful because if you fail to appropriate the grace of God for that situation, a root of bitterness can spring up and many are defiled. See, the, the real warfare is going on inside of us. That warfare that, that wants me to be easy on myself. That warfare that wants me to, to encourage my own personal desires. I mean, after all, I have my rights. I have a right for, for being all that I can be. Now, you see, you and I, who are followers of Jesus, need to say, no, no, I have a right to be all that God wants me to be. But that's different. Because it may not be fulfilling some of my own selfish wishes. We are in a spiritual warfare. The only way you are able to effectively combat spiritual opposition is with spiritual truth, and that's the Word of God. When Jesus was tempted, you remember, three times, what did he do? He quoted Scripture. Interesting. His words are Scripture for us, are they not? We go back and read the words of Jesus, and that's Scripture. But when Jesus was seeking to take a stand against the enemy who was tempting him. He did not use his own words, even though he is the Son of God. He chose to quote to, to Satan words from the Old Testament with which Satan was familiar. He knew that was God's word. And Jesus conquered the enemy with the use of the word of God. And that's what you and I can do. He's out to do everything he can to discourage us. He's out to do everything he can to turn us away and, and, and send us on some false road somewhere. The only way to combat the enemy in a spiritual battle 
is with spiritual truth. So Peter says, that's why I'm writing to you. I want to stimulate you. I want to, to encourage you to wholesome thinking. Now, he talks about one other thing here that's very important. Back in that passage we looked at. He says, not only should you prepare your mind for action, this is back in 1 Peter, but be self-controlled. Now, that's a quality that not very many of us experience all the time. We react rather than respond. There's a difference. I react emotionally to a situation. And I may, I may act in a way that is not pleasing to God because of my reaction. Because so often my reactions are, are, are from my own personal selfishness. But when I respond to a situation, I am responding on the basis of evaluation on what I know to be true from the Word of God, and I seek to make my response one that will please God. Self-control, that's what it is. Self-control is not allowing myself to go off with that first reaction, but stopping and saying, wait, wait. What would please God? In this situation. What would it be. That would bring glory to God. Right now. In my own response to this. Someone who says something to me that hurts. Someone who accuses me falsely. Someone who does something unjust. My reaction might be one. My response needs to be something different. According to the word of God. That's what self-control is. And, and we're minded here that that's part of what, what happens when our mind is renewed. When we are renewed in our mind, when we allow the Spirit of God, take the Word of God, and renew our minds, we develop the ability to respond rather than to react. And then he goes on. And he talks about the matter of hope. There in that first chapter that we, uh, in First Peter that we were looking at. Hope. And that leads me to where we want to continue with chapter 3 of 2 Peter 2, uh, of 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3. Let's continue there now at verse 8. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, he is patient. Patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We wonder sometimes, how long will God allow the conditions of this world to continue? It seems that they get worse and worse all the time, but none of it surprises God. That's all part of what's in the human heart. And God knows the human heart. The human heart is corrupt. The Bible tells us that. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, God knows it. And we see it displayed. And we think, goodness, it's time for God to intervene, take us out of here, and fulfill all those prophecies. That's what we'd like. But we're reminded by Peter, our 
timing is not God's timing. In, in Isaiah 55, it says, My ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. For as high as the heavens above, are above the earth, so high are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. I'm reminded how often I, I wish that something would happen in someone's life to see a change, someone that I'm praying for, someone I care for. And it doesn't happen right away. Hope says God is still in control. Now, I can't, I can't, we must distinguish between hope and expectations. They're different. See, I can't say, Lord, I believe that you are in control, therefore I ask you to do this. Those are expectations on my timetable. Expectations need to be put aside and hope needs to be encouraged. The God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says. Hope, a recognition that God is who he claims to be and that he will do what he promised to do. That's what hope is. Remember the little chorus? In his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful. In his time, Lord, please show me every day as you're teaching me your way. That you do just what you say in your time. Sing it once with me. In his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful. In his time, Lord, please show me every day. As you're teaching me your way, that you'll do just what you say in your time. And the key of that, of course, is it's in his time, not mine. Not mine. My hope is in the Lord, that he will do what he promised in his time. So he says... A day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day in God's economy. Then he reminds us, look at verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Now, there is Peter's reminder again of how we should think. Regardless of what's going on, he's told us that there are people that are going to come and they're going to make fun. They're going to scoff at the truth of God and that's going on. Don't lose heart, he says. Instead, knowing that that's going to happen one of these days, that the day of God is going to come, then you need to be, you live holy and godly lives. See, 
Those are kingdom values, my friends. They're not this world's values. They're the values of God's kingdom. And you and I, who have entered into God's kingdom through a relationship with Jesus Christ, are to live according to those values. One of the values is everything is going to be destroyed. You can't take it with you. Now, stop and think about that. Think of the impact that that should have on the way you live. How you spend your money. What you buy. All those things that that you get caught up in sometimes and that become so important to you. It's all going to be destroyed. All of that. Automobiles, homes, motorcycles, dune buggies. It's all going to be destroyed. There are two things that the Bible tells us are eternal. One is the Word of God. It is changeless. It lives and abides forever. And two are people. And your investment in people is an eternal investment. And instead of getting caught up in the, in the, in the value system of a society that gathers to itself all that they get to hope to make them feel good somehow, to get involved in recognizing my investment in two things, the Word of God and people, are eternal investments. And there will be eternal rewards. That's part of the thinking that Peter wants us to appropriate. It's so different from the world in which we live. And it takes self-control to, to develop that kind of thinking. But that's what God wants. Men and women who think in terms of what the Word of God says and what the Word of God teaches as far as eternity is concerned. These things will pass away. But these other things that I've mentioned will live for eternity. The Word of God and people. And let's close with verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. You see, God knows that we don't attain that in this life. None of us does. Perfection is not something we will ever experience until we are with God. But in the meantime, our thinking, Peter says, the way we think should be to make every effort to be this kind of people. Make every effort. Move. Don't sit back and wait for something to happen. You make every effort to be the kind of person that God wants you to be. In Philippians 2, 12 and 13, the end of verse 12 says, you take responsibility for what you know. 
The way it says it is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know certain things are true. You've been coming and having teaching. You've heard and learned lots of things. At least you've accumulated the knowledge. Not sure that always means we've learned it. See, we can accumulate a lot of knowledge, but never learn the truth because we don't put it into practice. But he says in that verse, whatever you understand, you put into practice. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But then notice the next verse. Because God is at work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. You make every effort, Peter says. And then we are reminded God will come alongside and work in you that which is pleasing in his sight, to will and to work of his good pleasure. That's the combination. We make every effort, and we fail, just like Peter did, and we stumble and fall, and, and God picks us up and he forgives us. But we keep making every effort honestly to be what God wants us to be, and he says, I'll work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So Peter says, Beloved, I've written all this to remind you and to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I don't know what your thoughts are this morning. God does. But I want to join Peter this morning seeking to stimulate you to wholesome thinking so that you make the right choices on the basis of what you understand. Let's pray. Father, we've hurried over this passage and these truths, but I'm, I'm grateful that your Holy Spirit can take what we've looked at and speak to people. I ask you to do that. And if there are those here this morning who have to acknowledge that their thinking has been all messed up because maybe, first of all, they don't even know the Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll work in their hearts. And then there may be many here who are believers, but who have allowed their thinking to be worldly, unwholesome thinking. I pray that you would help them to make choices today. Just before we finish with our last song, I want to ask you, if there are those who recognize that they have never come to Jesus, therefore they can't think the way they should, or there are some of you who are believers but recognize that there are things in your life that you need to straighten out, after the service, we'll be up here we would love to talk with you. Please take time to come and let us pray with you. We'd be delighted to serve.